Hi, I'm Meredith. Hi, I'm Joseph, and you are listening to Are You Waiting for Permission? It's a podcast for those who don't want to wait any longer. Welcome, welcome. Good morning. Good morning, Meredith. Well, good afternoon to you, oh, Joseph. It, yes, hello. I, I know. What time is it there? Like 11.33? Is I, that right? Yes. Yeah, because we've had 10 some... 10.33. Because oh, you've had 10... a time change and we didn't. Oh, I haven't had a time change yet. Oh, we had You had the time change. change. I, knew I there love was this some conversation. Pronoun. I love this conversation Our so listeners far. are like, this is the most captivating podcast I've it ever It really heard. is. I mean, Mad. it really is. This We're just <laughs> coming from a place of truth, uh, and this is where we're at. And mm-hmm. we're getting older, and we don't know when the time change is happening. And it just changed in the UK. I know that. Right. I, showed I wish up we were early in the UK. Something. We'd all be on the same time. May, if we were all in the UK right now, we would all be on the same time zone. That was profound. <laughs> That's a whole lot easier than having to do math. We'll just move to the let's UK. Just, let's just move. Let's just move. To, let's just move to Arizona, where it never changes. Oh God, those people are so lucky. They're so lucky. So lucky. Mm. Um, we have a guest who is on the Colorado Mountain Time Zone. Uh, I know. Do you want to do the introduction? Because she oh is sitting God. here, just eagerly waiting to talk to us. I know. I'm actually excited to read this introduction because our dear, dear guest, Michelle Auerbach, is an incredibly accomplished person. I'm going to tell you about her right now. Beautiful. Thank you. She has a PhD. She creatively solves problems and formants change through story. Oh, you know, we love that. Mm -hmm. Across diverse contexts. First, she is a writer and a storyteller. She also works with businesses on creativity, leadership, and change through story. She works with communities on creating social good, cultural change, connection, and working across differences through a story. I'm going to read that again because it's so damn beautiful. She works with communities on creating social good, cultural change, connection, and working across differences through story. Mm. She coaches and teaches individuals through workshops, trainings, and one-on-one exploration. She writes for the New York Times, the London Guardian, and is the author of three books, Resilience, The Life-Saving Skill of Story, and Alice Modern, and The Third Kind of Horse. Wow. A little round of applause. Can we just applaud that? <laughs> Love it. Oh, Love welcome, it. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. Yes, welcome, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Of course. And you came to us through my dear friend, Annabelle Reeder, who spoke very highly of you. And um, I'm I'm curious. I know we were talking just before we started recording about this piece about permission and creativity. And I'm curious if you don't mind speaking into that. Wow. Yes. I started thinking a lot about what it takes to have permission to, especially as a writer, right? Cause that's sort of how I view the world as a writer and, or a storyteller. Cause I don't think they totally overlap. I think some of the best storytellers I've ever met don't write anything down or have never written anything down, but there's a certain kind of permission to go to the places that are uncomfortable and hang out there that one needs to be, a really good storyteller. Like there is no story without trouble. And so you're, you're actually inviting people into a place of 
difficulty, of trouble, of, of things going wrong, of discomfort, of suffering with you. And like, who, who told you you could do that? Right. Like who, who said you could take me there and, and, and why do I want to go there? And, and like what what makes you think you can take me there? So I've been thinking a lot about that and, and what it means to, to, to delve into trouble together with or without permission. Hmm. That's it's so beautiful. It is really beautiful. And I, it's, there's so many I'm, I'm actually just stewing over what you just said a little bit. I'm thinking about the relationship to giving yourself permission to sit in the uncomfortability, um, to choose to be present in the story itself, because you can leave. You don't have to sit there and listen to the mm -hmm. rest of it. You don't have to engage with it. But what is it about the storytelling that keeps you there, that keeps you wanting more and to engage with the trouble? Mm. I think so that's, that's part an interesting... of that answer. Oh, you please. Can I jump in? I'm sorry. So what resonated with me is... There is no story without trouble. That was so beautiful. I've never thought about that. And I think part of the answer, Meredith, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Michelle, because I'm always happy to be wrong and be corrected, is that we want to be engaged that the trouble got resolved, right? We want to know that the hero turned out okay, because in our own story, when we're in trouble and screwed up, we want to make sure we're okay. Speak to that, Michelle. So that is exactly how we learn things especially through story, is that you don't have to be the person to whom it happened. You can read about it, watch it, hear about it, and learn from it. And our bodies, our brains, don't know the difference between something that's really happening to you and a story that's being told to you, which I think people spin a lot of negative ways, but I'm going to spin it a really positive way. You don't have to go through the trouble yourself then. <laughs> right? You can learn from the mistakes mm -hmm. of other people. And I, I just think about my kids and I all were obsessed with the Gilmore Girls, the show, the Gilmore Girls, when it first came out. And um, we watched it all the time. And situations will come up in which one of my kids will say to me, I avoided this problem because I thought about that episode from the Gilmore Girls, where something wow. like that happened. And I knew what the consequences were, and I didn't do it. Mm. You know, or or I saw the trouble coming and, and I, I knew how to avoid it because of whatever. And that's just a super silly thing that we used to, you know, do as a treat was mm -hmm. to you know watch Gilmore Girls episodes. So it, it made me think a lot about we, we we don't need to be the people in trouble ourselves. But somewhere in our in our like somatic life, we know you have to take that arc from what's going on now through trouble to resolution in order for there to be growth. And so we seek it out, even if we don't necessarily welcome it into our everyday mm -hmm. lives all the time, right? I mean, even if sure. we spend years trying to avoid it, right? Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. But I think somewhere we're, we're finding it anyway, mm -hmm. by the media we consume, by the stories that we listen to, by the movies that we watch, we're, we're scratching the itch. Well, and we have, we do have a choice in how we, we take in the trouble, right? So we can consume ourselves in media and that's a particular kind of trouble, or we can look to more of the sages, if you will, in the world and learn from their, their experiences, right? So the example that comes top of mind right now, so Joseph has this dear partner, Eli Hans, who's writing his one man show about his cancer uh, journey. 
And the lessons from that piece are going to be changing for other people because they'll look back at their own habits and their own patterns. And they'll, from his cautionary tale, if cautionary tale, I'm doing air quotes, if you will, they'll learn how to maybe better take care of their own bodies. But they'll also learn what it feels like to be him. Yeah. Which really solves one of the big problems we have in the world right now, mm-hmm. which is that we either don't know or don't care what it's like mm-hmm. to be people wildly different from us. And, and I think we're not able to be uncomfortable and sit with that, especially things like cancer, poverty, racism, like all of these things that we're facing, we don't know how to sit with it. And story teaches you how to do that. So his one man show will actually teach the people that get to watch it something about what it means to sit with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you. So Michelle, before we jumped on this call, you wrote and you told a story that one of your daughters was in school and was asked, what are your, what does your mom do for a living? And she said you were a writer and that took you aback. That was like, oh my gosh, am I, am I like giving myself permission to be a writer with publishing in the New York times and the guardian and three books. So can you tell us about your experience? A when your daughter told you that story that she told that in school and then B how is it that all these years later you're still, and I'm not judging this. It's just, I'm curious about it. How is it all these years later, all the thousands of words you've published, you're still not clear whether you're a writer or not. That's interesting. <laughs> right? That's a great, Yes. Um, so I have to say that the daughter in question is 23. So, you know, it's not like she's nine and she was trying to sum up something she didn't understand. I do so much work outside of writing that, that, that storytelling based that I think sometimes, so that's part of it, right? Sometimes I forget like, Oh, right. I'm a writer, but I am, also, I feel like there's some bar that is keeps moving. That's like you've done, you've you've achieved this. Like that, my whole life, I wanted something in the um, in the modern love section of the New York Times, and I finally got to publish an essay in, mo- in the modern love section of the Ooh. New York Times. And then the bar moves, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, I've published a book. And I've got something in the modern love section of the New York Times. Maybe two novels makes me a writer. Publish oh. the second novel. Nothing happened. Like nothing happened. I'm still me. Right. And then like, all right, okay, fine. Then the third, you know, and I think the bar just keeps moving on me or I move the bar. And at some point you kind of have to just admit that you passed it. You passed the bar a while ago and you were too busy. I think worrying about external validation Mm -hmm. to realize that it had already happened. There's this amazing person that I, um, whose work I studied and who I actually wrote my master's thesis on one of his books. His name is Tom Spanbauer. And he was, he, he's just this amazing writer. And he has this thing called the school of dangerous writing where he talks about really going to the, just to the gut of the really dangerous stuff and, and writing from there. And I was looking at his, at an interview with him and he was complaining about the fact that his most recent book um was turned down by a bunch of New York publishing houses. And this is a guy who's published six books or five books. They were all incredibly well-received. And he was he ended up publishing with a small press. And the book is amazing that he put out. Like, I'm not entirely clear how this happened. And I, I think at that moment, I was like, oh, 
the person I wrote my master's thesis on has the same problems I do. (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. ding. Right. So I think because X or Y big publishing house passed on my book that it means I'm not a real writer. And so I had to stop and think like he gives himself permission to be irritated with the publishing world, but he never said, I guess this says something about my stature as a writer. He Mm -hmm. was like, this is ridiculous the way publishing has gone in the last 10 Mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's exclusive and exclusionary and, you know, unfair and, and much more business minded than it used to be. And, you know, bottom line driven and not interested in exploring art. And, and he, he, he just trailed a whole list of problems with the publishing industry. And I had to sort of rein myself in and say, okay, if he's having trouble, that is not the measure of what it means to be a writer. Can we back up for a moment? So what I noticed in what you said was you moved the bar. So you wrote a book, published in the New York Times, Modern Love Section, then you moved the bar. I get that. Like that sounds pretty human to me. And at the same time, Michelle, for our listeners, it also feels pretty exhausting. Like when do we arrive? When have we arrived? When can we sit down and take a pause, take a rest, pat ourselves on the back and say, wow, modern love section, that's something. Like, can can we just rest in that moment for a few minutes? And I know that we're not. You're not alone in that raising of the bar. And I'm wondering if you can coach our listeners and each other, how do we find a space to to be in that moment of not needing to consistently raise the bar? Big question, I'm sorry, but you're smart. No, I would go back to storytelling again and say that the way characters develop across a story is that interesting things happen to them, right? They can be good, they can be bad, they can handle it well or handle it poorly, but interesting things handle happen to them and it creates a shift and, and those shifts accumulate. And, and I think you understand at the end of the story, all the things that have happened that made the character different. And in the moment, it's just a thing that's happening that moves the story forward. And I think in our real lives, in a story, you got to make it go. It's got to go fast and it's got to happen. But in our real lives, I think we can treat each of those like a little story in itself. Like that, that moment of, of whatever it is, achieving some goal that was important to you. Like we don't stop and say, that's a discrete thing in and of itself that we worked hard for, difficult things happened, we struggled to get there, it happened, and now we're living in, in the world of what it's like after that, then, then we deprive ourselves of both joy you know, and self-knowledge because each of those things is a discrete little, I'm making a story arc with my finger on the screen, but people listening obviously can't see that. It's a, <laughs> it's a little arc of, of narrative where like things get, you go up and up and up and up and up, something happens, and then there's the after. And, and I think we don't think of ourselves as living in the after as we go into the next thing, but we really are because we know all the things we learned from that experience and, and we are, they're all part of us now. And so we're carrying a whole different self into the next thing. I love this conversation. And I, so something that came top of mind is each one of these moments is its story of, in itself, right? These experiences that we've had. I think what happens sometimes is people get stuck 
in an experience and then they don't move on. They want to hold on yeah. to that identity so tightly that they can't be in that after place and acknowledge and by what they, they've you learned. you mean all of us, right? All of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're all I would say, <laughs> and some of us get a little bit more stuck than others, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I'm really appreciating the story because what it reminds me to do is that I get to reinvent myself each and every day. And I would say that trauma is the thing that keeps us stuck. Yeah. If you are stuck in, in a repeating story where either it's who you need to be or it's all, all that you think you can be, chances are something happened then or previously that kind of wired your nervous system to be stuck there. Mm. And one of the magical things about story, because we get to learn somatically without having to do anything that's actually dangerous, is there are all kinds of ways story can help, you know, like pop you out of that and make it different, right? That that you can retell the story to yourself and be aware of that tale where you're in the after. You know, that's a lot what therapy does. Or you can do it through writing. You can journal. You can, you know, you can read books. I mean, I, I gave this whole presentation once, which I laugh about now, about how I learned to, how I broke up with somebody based on a book I had read, which was about this, uh, 18th century British prostitute escaping. It's a great book. It's called The, the Crimson Petal and the White by this amazing British author. But uh, this 18th century prostitute who had like broken free of, a, of this oppressive situation. And somehow it gave me the gumption to do the thing I didn't, that I was like lying around on the couch in my apartment feeling too scared to do. So I was able through a story that wasn't even mine to, to, to be able to own some of her strength. And I think that story helps us both ours and other people's to get out of that cycle where mm -hmm. we're stuck. Mm -hmm. It was empowering. There's a group that I've actually in the Boulder, Denver area that I've performed with for several years called Playback Theater West. And we, uh, audience members come up and tell us a story from their own life. It was started by psychotherapists. And then we improvise and play that story back for them. And we show either, sometimes they'll ask for a different ending, right? And it's that, that component of some people do, they come, they have come to that show because they want to see a different play, uh, ending play out because they want to feel unstuck or they want to mm. be able to see that trauma unfold in a, in a, from the perspective of these players. And so it, it's really powerful how story can guide us if we allow it and if we're present with it and if we're really listening. And I'm curious about that piece too, which is what would you invite our listeners when they're approaching story? How would you invite them to be present with it? If you know what I mean, like what, do, do, what intentions do you offer in? Um, Cause some people aren't very present with story. They could read a book, but not be present with it. So can we talk into that a little bit? I'm curious about that piece. Yeah, definitely. I mean, becoming a good story listener or story absorber mm -hmm. is also a skill, just mm -hmm. like being a good storyteller is a skill. And I, I'm not sure they're all that different. This sense of being able to, to read your body, kind of read the room and, and, and be able to take things in as they're happening is, is hard. I mean, there's very little that goes on in our modern day lives that teaches us that, right? That we can listen to somebody and say, oh, ooh, that feels kind of weird to me. Like I'm feeling tingly or whatever, right? And that's a way of, of that you're physically absorbing the story. And I, there's great, one of the 
people that I write about in the book is, is actually my Sanskrit teacher. <laughs> and he, he talks about giving these amazing lectures and then people will come back and tell him things he said that he didn't say. And he's like, he said, at first yeah. I was really mm -hmm. offended, you know, early in my career, I'd say, I say, I, I didn't say that. And now he says, oh, I'm so glad you got that. Mm -hmm. Because he said, it doesn't matter what I say, they got the thing they needed. <laughs> so, and he, he takes away this great idea that like they felt it, they took it in, something magical happened in their bodies and they came up to him. It was valuable enough. They needed to say something. And he's, he's like, I didn't say it. But it doesn't matter, right? So I think for me, the takeaway is that, 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 the, that the response happens in you. And being aware of that is part of being a good listener, a, a good story absorber. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. Operative word being aware, right? Yeah. Yeah. How yeah. beautiful is that? I'm loving this conversation as well, Meredith, because last week in your course, Confidently Speaking, you taught us, your students, about the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. And it's so present in what we're talking about today. And the word that comes to mind with the hero's journey and also with what Michelle is sharing with us is that in that journey, there's oftentimes an element of reluctance, right? Very rarely are we opening up the front door and be like, oh my God, there's trauma and trouble coming ahead. Bring it on, right? We're like, we don't want that journey. And yet in order to become more whole human beings, we have to go through it. We have to face the reluctance, right? I think that's one of my favorite parts about the hero's journey is that there's this call and then there's this rejection. <laughs> like everybody immediately says no. It, that's part of the story. No, mm -hmm. not going to do that. No, not going to do that. Like, no, thanks. Like, that's just not going to happen. And then it does anyway. <laughs> right. So it, you think humanly, we would have figured that out by now that, that like, you can say no, but it's going to happen anyway. Mm. But I have a friend who, who recently um, adopted a puppy and then had to, had to part with it. And it was so interesting to me to watch the process where all this other stuff came up that had nothing to do with the puppy, right? And we both knew it and we were talking about it that way. She's a very aware person, but she was like, you know, I was trying, I kept saying no to dealing with this stuff. Hmm. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with this grief and loss stuff. Like, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with all the other stuff that's happened in my life. And, and I can't avoid it because now like the puppy is so cute and I'm going through all these feelings. And, and we both kind of had to laugh. It's like, you can say no all you want, but in hmm. some way the story is going to get you anyway, right? It's going to work its way in and it's going to get you either way. <laughs> so, but we still say no. And I love that part. I don't know. There's something deeply human and kind of fragile and, um, hopeful about people saying no like that mm -hmm. i'm hoping i can control the situation and i can make it work my way mm. you know and there's something deeply hopeful about that it doesn't work but it's great mm. we're more so resilient than we give ourselves credit for i think and we mm -hmm. actually think we're more powerful than we yes. give ourselves credit for truth it doesn't really work out, right? I mean, then the, the mm -hmm. hero says, no, no, no. And then suddenly they find themselves whisked to Oz or whatever. But they, it, at least at least we think we have the power to control our environment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Meredith and I <laughs> yeah. speak a lot on this podcast about who we surround ourselves with, right? Who's our team? Who's our cheerleading squad? 
and sometimes on our own journey, if we want to say no, we want to reject the journey, there'll be people in our lives be like, oh yeah, you know, don't take that job. Don't go out with that guy. Don't move across the country. It'll be too hard. And we get them enrolled in our no. And my invitation to our listeners is also have people in your surroundings that are going to call you on it, call you on that bullshit and be like, you know what? Yeah, it's dangerous. Yes, it's scary. Yes, it feels like trouble. That's why you need to do it, you know? Oh, my. I was in one of those conversations yesterday as the listener. And, and it was one of those great things. I was on speakerphone in the car with my partner who was driving and, the, and, and a mutual friend of ours is on the phone talking about this job search. And it's a big deal. It's a big deal um, to him. And he's telling us about all these things that are going on. And like, he's, he's being offered like the bird in the hand job, but then like the job that's going to transform his life is also on in play. And we're, we're like listening and, and saying all the right things. Like, you know, you're going to have to trust the process and you're going to have to feel into the, whatever we're like giving the best possible advice. Like we are not getting enrolled in the simple solution. And then we get off the phone and we looked at each other and I was like, is it completely clear to you what's going to happen here? And he was like, Oh, totally. And I was like, it's completely clear to me too, but it's not clear to him. Like it's not clear to my friend what's going to happen. But the two of us are sitting back in our car on highway 36, you know, like, we know that the you're going to get offered the bird in the hand job, and then you're going to have to turn it down in order to take the risk and be really enrolled in doing the bigger thing. And we're laughing. Like, I think we got that across to him. Did we get that across to him? Were we kind about it? Were we, you know, like, what do you tell people when you can see the story that they can't see because they're in the middle of it? Like, how much information do you give them? What do you tell them? And so we had this whole conversation about what it means to be that friend. Like, we're saying you're probably not going to need to take that bird in the hand situation, but we know he's going to still have to grapple with it. And it's going to seem like he should take it. And all these things are going to happen. Right. So it's interesting to be that friend and to see the thing unrolling and to go, what do I do to support? Like, what is, what skills and tools do I throw into the ring? So this person has what they need to do the thing I already see they're going to have to do. Well, now I'm on pins and needles to see what happens. I got to say. Oh, no, I know. It's, I, I mean, you know, I have fantasies about what's going to happen. But, it, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's interesting. And then you think, well, as a writer, I know I have that control over the little universe I create. Mm-hmm. I create a character and the character is completely out of my control, right? Like they, they don't listen to me at all. And, and they do what they're going to do. And often I don't like it. And really, a lot of the time, I'd prefer not to go there and not, not tell the things they want to tell right? Or delve into the things they want to delve into. But at least I have the opportunity to put the people and stuff in place to support them. I love that. Mm -hmm. You know, would we could, would that we could do that for our friends. Mm -hmm. I have so much wisdom here this morning. And I just have a a feeling that our listeners are just going to click replay. (laughs) We're just going to click replay and they're like, that Michelle, she had a lot to offer in that podcast. We should be paying for this, right? <laughs> well, I think better yet, Joseph, I, it would be lovely, actually, Michelle, how can we support you? Where can people find you? Um, so tell us a little bit about that. Oh, well, my website is michellehourbach.com. Mm-hmm. Spell your last there. name for our listeners. Oh, A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H. So it's Michelle with two L's. Uh, michellehourbach.com. I, and everything's there, books, other 
podcast interviews, this podcast interview, by the time it you know comes out, it'll be on there. Um, and then, and then all my books are there and, and ways to order them and stuff mm. like that. So. Brilliant. So the day that we're recording this is the beginning of November. And I'm wondering in this time, especially in Colorado, winter is coming upon you. And I'm wondering if there's something that you would love to create in this time in Colorado or anywhere in the world, or is there something you'd like to let go of? That's an interesting question. Um, well, I think because we're also in the sort of 20, what is it, month 21 of this COVID experiment that we're you know, living through, I feel as though the thing I need to let go of is the whole world the way it used to be. Mm. You know, I read enough books and especially enough science fiction <laughs> to understand that there's the before times mm -hmm. and, and then there's the after times and, and that this is a story we're all getting to contribute to as a, as a world culture and then as individuals. And I would really like to bring forward the ways in which this this trouble, this cycle of, of, of real pain and suffering could do things for us that would allow us to take better care of each other. So I think, you know, anything I can do in my life to make that happen, whether it's writing about it or going to a demonstration or, you know, in some way being part of that story is really what I want to bring forward. And I think what I'd like to let go of for myself is the kind of the myth that what ha of separateness like I, I don't believe well, I have a PhD in theology so let's not get into where that's going to go but you know people will say oh it's it's all one it's all one that's not what I mean but I do mean that we are intimately interconnected with each other and with the world in which we live and that there's no way to avoid that and that you know it's like you pull a string in my life and it's going to impact other people and so I want to give up the pretense that what we do doesn't matter. You know, the, the, the things that we do to, to each other or against each other doesn't matter. Because I think that, that, that that's a kind of agency that we should all own. Right? Mm -hmm. What I do deeply matters. And it, does, it matters beyond my, my little family, even if, you know, and, it, and beyond my town. Voting matters, right? You're saying you're going to go vote. Like, you know, the, everything matters. And, and that we should all be so much more engaged. So I think for me, that's like, what are the ways that that only I could do that and, and keeping searching those out, right? And probably one of those is owning, being a writer, just to go back to the beginning of the conversation, you know, owning that that has power and that, I, that what I put down on the page can change things. Gorgeous. Thank you, Thank Michelle, you so for that much. invitation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening, listeners. We will see you in the next episode. We appreciate you. Please feel free to comment, share, subscribe, rate, whatever it is you kids are doing these days. And we'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of Are You Waiting for Permission? If you like what you heard, please like, comment, subscribe, and leave us a review. We would sure appreciate it. Also, we want to give a special shout out to Amy Shelley and Gary Grundy of High Fiction for letting us use their music in this podcast. All right, my friends, until next week. Bye. Bye.